Hello and welcome to episode 233 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan. And as usual, I've got Tony back here with me today. Hey T, how is it being back after a two-week vacation? It's good. It's great. Um, you know, went down, got to see uh, my parents for uh, the first time. My parents had my sister for the first time since August 2019. So uh, I took some time, spent a little bit of time in Richmond. And then my brother came down and we drove down to Raleigh together. So uh, it was good. I went uh, to a lot of different breweries in Richmond and, and Raleigh. Hung out with my mom, hung out with my dad, uh, my sister. So it was good just to see everybody. And uh, feels like there's some normalcy coming back here in the U.S. Um, the CDC mm. says you don't have to wear a mask now um, if you're outdoor, if you're vaccinated. If you're outdoors, no mask, even indoors. You know, um, if places still want to have mask rules, you got to follow those things. Uh, New York, New York City still has some rules in place, but. You know, it's it's for us here. I know that in certain parts of Asia, India specifically, and Brazil, it's certainly nowhere near um, getting back to normal. Um, in fact, that they're experiencing what we were experiencing a while back. Mm. But um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, there's we're turning the corner here. We're we're, we're definitely turning the corner here in the U.S. Hopefully, globally, we're turning the corner, and then it'll take some time, but. India, Brazil, we'll hopefully get some vaccinations out there and start getting this under control there too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a well, it's a trying time. I mean, it's been for the past year, right? But yeah. even in Malaysia, the cases are up now. Um, so they they have we're currently under movement control order number three, just mm-hmm. to try and get things under well control. <laughs> well, you know, and also like. God, you look at some of these countries with their bureaucracy and stuff like that. I, I, so Alice's father is still in the Philippines. Um, he lives in the Philippines. Um, and it's something like it takes three hours to get the shot because you have to go. You have to go watch a video about wow. like you have to take like a class on this. And it's like just stick these people in the arm with a needle and get them injected. What the hell are we doing here, folks? I don't know. But, Salvi, yeah. Um, at least I'm able to sit at a bar now and drink. Uh, I, I can sit actually at the bar and have a beer at the bar. Uh, so, you know, for for here, things are getting back to normal. Okay, okay. Well, we'll see how it goes, right? Yes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so you'll be happy to know. All all listeners will be happy to know. We actually have a guest on this this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought on Kieran Harris. Uh, who is a good friend and a strategy-based market data consultant. He's also the founder of Data Compliance. Um, and we basically talk about exchanges in the Asia-Pacific region and uh, delve into some of their data strategies. So uh, have a listen. And, well, it, it's, it was a really interesting conversation about how each one is different. Very yeah. disparate, yeah. <laughs> Market data exchanges. This is Waters Technologies' bread and butter. So this <laughs> is this is certainly for our audience. Yeah, well, it's a good lead into to our our conference next week. We oh, have our good, uh, oh, good job. That was an excellent <laughs> transition. Nicely done. <laughs> for once, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so we have our Data Insight Spotlight virtual virtual uh, conference happening next week. And I'll link the, the agenda below and you can check it out if you want. But yeah, I guess uh, till, till next week then, we'll get Tony right. back and uh, talk about some good stuff. Exciting, <laughs> craziness. It's going to be fun. Check back in. <laughs> okay, well, till next week. Enjoy. Okay, joining me today is Kieran Harris. Uh, he's a strategy-based market data consultant and the founder of Data Compliance, uh, a company that basically handles everything from market data strategy all the way down to uh, data sourcing and license costs to regulation. Uh, Kieran also runs a website that I'll link here called Market Data Guru, where he posts where he posts quite frequently uh, about everything and anything about market data. So. Hey, Kieran. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for uh, inviting me, Wei. Um, pleasure to be here. How are things in Hong Kong? Usually I'd see you in person, but it's been it's been quite a while, huh? Yeah, it has. Uh, the weather's good, uh, but I think I'll, that's about as far as I'm going to go <laughs> on that. <laughs> Isn't it getting quite hot now? I mean, it's it's almost July. So yeah, about coming up to about 30 degrees during the day a uh, bit of humidity uh, but uh, the the, uh, the midsummer monsoon will come up in a few weeks time and that's when it'll get nice and sticky and uh, mm. uh, be wonderful to go out and uh, uh, live in a sauna <laughs> it's funny because um i I remember the first time I moved over to Hong Kong uh, and I was complaining about the heat and like how humid it was. And there were uh, friends around me were like saying, don't you, you're from Malaysia. What's the difference? Isn't it hotter there? And I'm like, but it, it's just, it's different. I think the humidity levels in Hong Kong are, are a lot higher. So like when you go out, you step outside and immediately like you feel this slick of sweat <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's funny i feel the same way going from hong kong to tokyo <laughs> you know, oh. Like, ah. oh yeah that that is bad too i have been to tokyo in like a june june or july around that yeah. month oh yeah it was terrible <laughs> it sounds like the, the further north you go in asia the worse it gets <laughs> counterintuitive <laughs> So anyway, um, well, thanks very much for joining us again. Uh, today, I'd actually like to talk to you about, you know, the exchanges, uh, the, the the major exchanges that we have in the region here, which is the Asia Pacific region, and and uh, you know, take a look at some of their data strategies. So uh, maybe to start with, you know, um, and let's start a little bit broader. Like, how have you seen major global exchanges transition from, you know? providing just raw data feeds to, you know, adding value and perhaps, uh, I guess, having a, a new, creating new products to sell, you know, and basically what has driven that? Well, that, I mean, that's a really fantastic question for right at this moment in time. I mean, but first, I'd better give you full disclosure in that some of the uh, uh, exchanges we'll talk about are my clients or have been my clients or might not be my clients in the future after we finish. Uh, but, uh, um, but, uh, uh, Essentially, uh, uh, the Asia-Pacific exchanges are quite big, uh, but then when you compare them on the data side to their global peers, they're very, very different. Uh, and they're quite far behind the curve in terms of uh, uh, transitioning from a raw data service to one where they're adding value to the uh, uh, to the product. Uh, I mean, at some point, you, meet, you reach saturation point in providing the financial community with just straight prices. After that, it's very, very difficult to, 
uh, expand. You've either got to come up with new ways of charging or find new ways of usage, which doesn't really go down very well with the people who are paying, uh, even if they can afford it. Um, and then, so what you see with the uh, uh, exchanges, I mean, particularly uh, if you look at, say, what ICE has done, uh, NASDAQ, LSE, and to a lesser extent, Deutsche Post, they're now going into the value-added service uh, uh, side of the uh, business. They're taking the data, and you can see what they're doing with, uh, particularly with the indices, which is a very high growth rate, uh, very very high margin. I mean, something like MSCI's got eighty uh, percent profit uh, margin. Uh, across the board. I mean, that just shows the money which is in indices and that's only growing. And then you've got the analytical services trying to create decision-making tools out of uh, underlying data. Uh, and that's far more diverse, but it is a very, very strong growth area. And, and you can see uh, the, the number of t uh, companies which uh, uh, NASDAQ and ICE and LSE have, have been buying because one of the things these are gonna, uh, exchanges are doing is they're not developing these new services in-house. Uh, indices to an extent they are, but trying to go out and create new analytics is quite difficult. It's far easier to go out and buy uh, companies which already have a client base and who uh, uh, got revenue coming in than try and reinvent the wheel. Uh, so they're already making this transition uh, to the value-added space. Um, and uh, uh, ICE and LSE have also bought their own vendors, uh, which in one particular case is not necessarily might be a good thing. Uh, uh, but if you look at uh, where the, the Asia-Pacific uh, peers are, they're nowhere near that level of uh, development in terms of data. Uh, they're, they're hitting that transition point, uh, but few are making the effort to go on and do something with it. Uh, and you can see the difference between what, say, an SGX or an ASX are trying to do and what the other exchanges, um, HKX or uh, uh, JPX, I mean, nobody even hears of what JPX are doing. I mean, you've got the second largest economy, uh, sorry, third largest economy in the world, huge exchange market, yet they, uh, JPX has got half the, uh, the revenues of HKX and is worth about a sixth of the cost, uh, I mean, in terms of market cap. So uh, there's, there seems to be uh, a like the region itself, a disparate approach to strategies, developing it, and even to to the extent of saying, hey, I want to have a data strategy. Um, and, and to be fair to a lot of the teams around the region, they're not given the resources by their own management. There are very few exchanges who sit there and say, uh, hey, we want a data business. Well, in fact, they all say we want a data business, uh, but they don't sit down and say, well, we're going to fund this properly. We're going to put some money into it. We're going to develop it. Uh, getting uh, management to pay for uh, developing uh, market data businesses is like trying to get blood out of a stone in some cases. Uh, and, and really, it hurts the entire business. I mean, if you think about it, what's an exchange about? It's a data business. It's all about price discovery. If you, the reason you go and trade on an exchange is to find a price to, uh, to pay uh, to either buy or sell your favourite stock. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's and that's data. That's a bid. It's an ask. It's the last price. It's all about data. Uh, and the great thing about data businesses, they are a wonderful 
literally free offshoot, which enables uh, uh, the exchanges to make not only make more money, but reinvest it in the business in terms of better trading systems, better infrastructure, better technology. And, and the better prices you can deliver to the market, the more trading you're going to get. You get this wonderful uh, virtuous circle. Um, some see it, some don't. Mm, okay, so so let's let's talk a little bit about the, you said the uh, the efforts in in creating or uh, in having a proper clear data strategy or a data uh, an added value data business. You know, uh, are like the region disparate? So. Let's zoom in into those that are making some head, headway in this, like where um, maybe the likes of, maybe we can start with the likes of the Singapore Exchange and then maybe lead on to what uh, the ASX is doing in Australia. Well, I mean, they're, they're taking two different paths. Uh, SGX started by, uh, if you go back about 10 years ago, they wanted to try and become a more technology-driven exchange, uh, data centers, co-location. And I think they found that didn't really work out. Um, exchanges aren't tech businesses, uh, uh, but they are data businesses. Uh, and you've seen a refocus over the years, uh, uh, partly because of where they are in, in terms of location. They don't, uh, although it's a very successful economy, it's not a huge economy. And therefore, the, for the SGX to compete, it's got to think more regionally, globally than its peers, or else it's not, go it's not going to be able to draw in the amount of trading which it succeeded in doing. Right. And you and you can see that in uh, when the uh, in, in the development of uh, index futures, financial futures, Nikkei two two five. We I mean it's one of the uh, uh, oldest around, uh, which is an offshore uh, futures uh, traded uh, index, uh, uh, and SGX has always been pretty much in advance of others like that. Uh, and then uh, if you see recently, they've they've gone far more into the index business. They bought scientific beta for about 180 uh, million euros. Uh, and uh, uh, they they see this as a way forward. And it's, it's not only from a data perspective, it's also an exchange perspective, because when you create an index, you can create products and services around that, futures contracts, uh, uh, other ways of trading, uh, link it to other markets. Uh, I, I mean, People forget that indices are just more than a benchmark. They are something which you can use to create products, services, and be able to help people trade better. And mm -hmm. I, I think the SGX has been pretty advanced in um, uh, accepting that as, as a model to go forward. And if you compare that to other exchanges where uh, uh, they've not been able to do that or they haven't invested, uh, and also uh, they've also done tie-ups with people like FTSE or SMP, which have restricted their ability to develop their own index businesses. It's a great idea. You you partner with FTSE, you partner with SMP, they provide the technology, they provide the uh, uh, the algorithms, the expertise, which is very, very hard to do. It's it's not an easy thing by any uh, any uh, shape or form or imagination, but, it, uh, but you need that expertise to do it. And a lot of the exchanges haven't done it, so they've basically outsourced to uh, uh, SMP, uh, FTSE, and, and that's kind of restricted their ability to develop that side of the business. Um, mm. uh, SGX is, uh, I mean, they do have a tie-up uh, through the Straits Times indirectly to the uh, FTSE uh, Straits Times index, but um, 
uh, again, it's indirect. So they've they've taken their own path on that. And they've also, I mean, like uh, just a few years ago, they kind of ran into a little bit of a hiccup with the NSC, right? With the Nifty, the Nifty index. And what did you think that they? Uh, how much do you think this impacted them? Uh, I think quite a bit. Uh, I mean, the, the Nifty's a, a funny one. I mean, uh, it, it's not the most uh, uh, actively traded index in India, but it was the first to go offshore and they went straight to Singapore. And uh, I, I think there's there's more problems in terms with uh, the origin of the Nifty 50 rather than uh, uh, where it's been traded. And I, I think that's probably uh, best not go down too much of a rabbit hole there. But um, uh, it's a good example of how to start, but not necessarily how to finish. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, and then we move to other exchanges like the AS ASX, you know, that have been, I mean, exchanges obviously have a lot of exhaust data, right? Uh, well, and I think uh, one of the uh, efforts that the ASX has done that I, f I feel personally that Hong Kong Exchange was actually looking to do, but have not yet uh, um, implemented anything on it, um, was kind of what ASX launched sometime last year called uh, this product called DataSphere, which allows people to allows allows participants basically to have their data on there, play around with like ASX's data that they don't necessarily uh, release publicly, uh, and so on and so forth. So like a lot of different projects that are going on in there, which is what I feel that H uh, Hong Kong Exchange was actually trying to do or trying to do something similar, but they have not yet done. So maybe let's talk about ASX first. I mean, what do you think about this uh, DataSphere? Um, product and how that fits into their overall uh, data strategy. Well, I, th I think ASX are the classic transition exchange in terms of data. Uh, they, they're a market which is remarkably parochial in Australia. It's a highly domestic oriented market. Uh, and it's one where uh, you, you, you're kind of hitting uh, the barriers in terms of how many clients you can get the data out, of, uh, out to. And uh, they, they've sat back. I mean, they've taken a very open approach. In fact, almost an unexchange-like approach to data and said, right, okay, where does this fit with how we're trying to support our clients and markets, which is uh, a quite a different approach. And they, they've, they said, right, we've got, we got data on this side. We've got real-time data feeds. What fits in in the middle? And that's where Datasphere uh, uh, comes in, I feel. When you look at it, it's trying to add value data in a way which doesn't uh, which f fills a gap uh, between their products uh, the reference data projects uh, products and and the real-time products uh, and if you look at it, it 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 fills a gap by providing uh, uh, not only just the raw prices but the historical prices behind it to create a uh, I hate the word ecosystem, but I'm going to use it in this uh, context, a, a kind of ecosystem of data which is interrelated, but produces a fuller picture than you'd otherwise get by just taking individual data series. And it's it's that kind of interaction between the data which uh, makes Datasphere different. I mean, to me, Datasphere is a, a data mall, uh, and which is not a uh, new um, concept cme's got one quick's got one coscom was the, uh, in korea was one of the first to have it there are these data malls all over the world uh, and so why is data sphere uh, uh, different and I, I think in very one important aspect um 
if you look at the data models which other exchanges and companies have put out it's it's just a way to buy time series on 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 the web it's nothing more than that you sit there and say right i want this bit of data i want that bit of data bang that's it uh, it's it's just it's not even it's it's just barely a shot window whereas um, Datasphere to me looks like a service which is intended to be a service. You can get there, you can find the data you want, and uh, the, one of the key differences they've got a they've got a full time uh, uh, business manager in there running it as a business. You're not going to find that at Coscom. You're not going to find that at CME. You're not going to find that at the other exchanges. For them, the those the data malls is a nice to have. Sits on the web. If it earns money, great. Uh, uh, for ASX, it is part of the strategy to get their products and services out there. And and to me, that's the clear difference uh, in, in, in emphasis in strategy and the ability to turn that into something which is uh, commercially viable. Okay, so then how do you, how would you compare what they have done there to like what uh, Hong Kong Exchange has, has, has done? Because I think uh, in maybe uh, in the past three years anyway, and uh, plus now they are in their third year of their uh, strategic plan, right? Uh, previously, they said that they want to create a scalable data marketplace uh, to potentially monetize some of its data. Uh, and I think in, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was two years ago, maybe they invested in a firm that does like um, multi-party computation technology. So like, uh, I think that, if I'm not mistaken, that sits on the uh, blockchain and um, they were thinking of how to create that scalable data marketplace using the technology that uh, this firm that they invested in uh, has. So, but since then there have been uh, no updates on uh, nothing that has been said publicly about that. So it seems to me that they're still in the consideration phase, like maybe kind of uh, maybe behind the scenes experimenting a little bit about what they want to maybe do but still don't know what they want to do uh how, how do you feel about that um i find hong kong exchange a rather funny one i mean if you look at it, it's the largest exchange in the world by market cap and it's bigger than cme it's uh, uh and if you added every single exchange in asia it still wouldn't be half of uh, uh what the hkx is uh, worth uh it it's it's a monster uh from uh, market cap perspective. From a data perspective, um, they, they're picking up uh, a lower level of revenues than any other major exchange around. Um, I, I honestly find it hard to see what the HKX strategy is. Uh, it's uh, they, they don't have to do a lot to bring data uh, uh, revenues in. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's there's big demand for their data, especially recently with uh, uh, the IPOs. Uh, they do more IPOs now than any other exchange in the world, and these are big ones. And they've got some big, uh, uh, further big ones coming along. I mean, the Ant Group will eventually uh, 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 list, and that's going to uh, attract a lot of volume, a lot more uh, demand for data. But in terms of that, I mean, if I look at HKX, I think they've got to get their own uh, current data uh, uh, business uh, uh, sorted out with a strategy, rather uh, because running off and uh, doing new things because it's a good idea. Uh, it's not necessarily a good thing when your underlying business under underperforms uh, uh, less than your peers. I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot of gaps uh, which, up to me, exist within that business, uh, which could be utilized to fund uh, uh, a more broader based 
uh, transition level model. They, they're, they're still below that transition level. They're, they're still in the data space. They, they haven't really transitioned to, the, to that value added uh, uh, approach, which uh, pr produces a higher premium for the data. Okay, would you say that's because it is, it is because of their position within the region and among other exchanges, as you said that they, they have the, the biggest market cap, right? And if, if you added all the exchanges in Asia, there still wouldn't be half of what Hong Kong exchanges. Does oh, and quite a few around the world as well on top. <laughs> I mean, so does that give them the like, oh, okay, we're, uh, we're this big, you know, do we need to do something with our data? Yeah, we probably do, but uh, uh, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a. Uh, I think there's a very good case for that. I mean, when you look at HKX in general, their mantra is China, 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 and then just repeat mm -hmm. a thousand times and repeat a thousand times again. Um, I mean, it and it's worked for them. Uh, uh, it certainly worked uh, for them as a business. Uh, is. Uh, it certainly worked for them as uh, shareholders in their own business. And when you look at uh, uh, a lot of the shareholders, which are uh, quite small brokerages, large brokerages in Hong Kong, they're very, very happy with that. They they, they can see that value. Um, so mm -hmm. why change something which works, uh, even if you could make it better? Mm, okay, because, yeah, you're right. Um, they have been all about China, which is, I mean, they are, Hong Kong is the gateway into China, right? And that's what they've been trying to to, uh, I guess, advertise themselves or market themselves as. And uh, they've been quite successful with the Stock Connects and the Bond Connect. And now I think they recently announced the Wealth, the wealth Management, yeah, yeah Wealth, wealth Connect. Um, and also it has recently invested in, uh, took an investment, I think a 7% stake in uh, the Guangzhou Futures Exchange. And then so it could, it could indicate that they could, um, you know, bring some of LME's products onshore right i mean that that could be something that could happen in that uh futures well, lme is an interesting one because lme was actually a china play uh the former ceo uh, of lme was a gentleman called simon hill who who was actually my client here he was the uh, uh finance director of uh, jardine fleming and before that was the swire prince chinese connections all over the place uh, and he became um uh ceo of uh, the lme uh, with all the cons and he brought his contacts with it. And one of the things which they were doing was clearing the non RMB business for the Shanghai Futures Exchange, all the US dollar stuff. And uh, this was bringing in uh, a lot of business. Uh, and in fact, it forced them to uh, demutualize because uh, they, were, they were producing too much cash to redistribute to their own uh, 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 members. So uh, they they uh, they sold themselves to the Hong Kong exchange, and it's very much a uh, China play, and that would fit in with the strategy. And if you look at it, uh, they've got the uh, joint index business with um, uh, Shanghai Stock Exchange and uh, Samchan Stock Exchange. So they've they've got those in place. So they uh, and when you look at their data strategies. Uh, it's it's very much with a China focus. Even the data strategies are with uh, have that China focus. Um, it's it is a it is China, China, China. Hmm. Okay. Then okay. Then maybe moving on to uh, a little bit more north. <laughs> um, oh, the elephant in the room, China. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, north. Uh, east. East. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> my geography is, is terrible and, and my editor knows this. So, um, but okay, Korea and Japan, like what is interesting about uh, Coscom uh, to you and why is it that, I mean, they, they haven't actually been very, or they, they aren't usually very public also about what they are doing. Um, is it an interesting exchange to you? Yes. Um, well, they don't call Korea the hermit kingdom for nothing. So, um, uh, and uh, it kind of sums it up. I mean, it, it's quite funny. You, you get businesses which uh, they're in the data business and they're in the information business and trying to get any information out of them. It's like getting blood out of a stone. Yeah, sort, of, sort of try and get something about Facebook and, the, and that. I mean, they're willing to give all this data out, but about themselves. And that sums up Korea in a way. Um, I, I think part of the problem is the relationship between KSC and Coscom. Um, it's not a, a relationship which I, I think is functional for a data business. Uh, KSC, uh, sorry, KRX owns 67% uh, of Coscom. It was set up to provide uh, technology businesses to get Korean brokerages off the ground in the late 70s. And it's been very, very successful in that. It's a technology-driven business. Um, it produces some great technology, a, a little bit cost uh, costly, but um, <coughs> funny enough, they've had some good take-up uh, in exchanges like in Cambodia, Laos, Burma, sorry, Myanmar, I guess we call it these days. Um, uh, uh, Coscom and sold their technology into these uh, emerging markets. But from a data perspective, data was a bit of a uh, add-on to Coscom. It just said, right, okay, uh, uh, KRX, or as it was the, the old uh, uh, Korean Stock Exchange, wasn't going to sell data uh, direct, so they got Coscom to do it. And that's caused a relationship issue. Uh, the relationship has traditionally not been as close uh, as it could be just because they're two different companies and uh, they've got two different agendas. Therefore, uh, they uh, they also uh, uh, selling in very much into a domestic market. They're not very globally oriented. Um, uh, so um, it's, it's an interesting exchange, but it's a hard one. Uh, they they are quite innovative. They were one of the first, uh, produced one of the first data malls in the world. Um, they've got some great technology. Uh, uh, it's, uh, but the market is fairly finite. Uh, it's, uh, and they, they don't, they've not done very, very well in taking their products and services overseas. So until they, they try and uh, uh, adapt, or, or try and come up with a new uh, strategy. It's going to be a very interesting market, but it's only going to be an interesting market for those who are investing uh, within Korea. Now, if we go to our friends across the uh, um, uh, uh, on the other side of the Sea of Japan, uh, you've got a different environment. Uh, it's it's incredible that you've got an exchange, uh, which of the third largest economy in the world, yet it does nothing. Uh, and it's it's got a, uh, I mean, uh, just it's it's got revenues of 1.5 billion uh, US dollars uh, a year total, and that's a billion less than Hong Kong Exchange. You've got living in a city of uh, almost eight million people, and that's an economy with 130 or 120. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I mean, um, it's why is it that JPX just doesn't have that same uh, size. I mean, it, it ought to be a Godzilla in data terms. It's not. Uh, why, it, why is that? Uh, 
I think, I mean, the, the, traditionally, there's been, uh, when you've seen mergers in Japan, I mean, of all companies, uh, they, there's, there's never a clean out, and you always see that companies are put together. So you get two companies of 100 people, and it becomes one company of 200. So you get a lot of duplication. And I think possibly one of the problems, I, actually, I'm going to list a couple problems here, one of which is that in a Japanese company, you can be a librarian one day, and the next day you could be the restaurant manager, uh, the, the, the company restaurant manager, and the day after that you could be advisor to the general manager. So there's no real growth within the business which produces experience, expertise, or, and develops that with retained knowledge and in the data business, you need that retained knowledge. You need to know about uh, what, what the market's doing. You, you need to know about your IP rights. You need to know about why people are buying data. And if, if you just come in and just manage a business, you're never going to find out and you're never going to uh, uh, succeed in developing it. And that's one of the uh, major things which I've seen uh, uh, with the JPX. And, um, and also as a uh, a reluctance to change. Um, I probably I'll get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I think JPX needs a few more women in there to do some work. Um, uh, uh, Japanese women are incredible; uh, have incredible initiative, and they're really quite bright. They 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 take a different approach to a uh, uh, to to the traditional Japanese way of doing things, and I think the Japanese exchange. I, I mean, if when you look at a lot of exchanges, they are quasi government organisations. They are they they are bureaucratic. They move in that way, and if you can imagine Japan bureaucracy, which is notorious, and then you've got an exchange which is run along the same lines, you're not exactly going to get a lot of innovation. Uh, and if, if, if you look back where the London Stock Exchange tried to set up a, uh, uh, a kind of um, uh, uh, new, uh, new business, uh, new ventures exchange, uh, one of these entry-level exchanges, they tried very hard with JPX to set one up in the 2000s. And it went nowhere thanks to resistance. Uh, because there's people saying no, uh, we don't we don't want to do this, and and it hit resistance from people like Namura, Daiwa, uh, who who had vested interests, uh, and I think that kind of sums it up. There is a reluctance to uh, embrace a, uh, a a new way of doing business, even if that's going to benefit. I, and I think with uh, uh, JPX data, you never hear of them, you don't see them out there. Uh, you, uh, um, I mean, their indices do very very well. Uh, but uh, beyond that, they, they really ought to be uh, uh, doing a lot better. Uh, and if you look at their, uh, uh, their licensing, their policies, their agreements, uh, these are way out of date. Uh, although, to be fair, that's the English translations. I mean, the Japanese versions may be better. Mm, true. So, so you're saying, and that's quite interesting as well, though, because it's down to like the organizational structure and how like so, businesses in general are run in Japan. Um, I mean, typically, I, I think uh, maybe is similar in Korea as well, like basically um, uh, led by men uh, mainly. And the thing is that how they move th throughout the organization. Yeah, you said maybe like 
two years you're here as a uh, in the data business, another another year maybe in the listing business, uh, yeah. and so and so forth. So people don't have like that. They don't build up that history and that um, experience, I guess, in their in that certain role. So which is what the data business actually really needs. Um, so uh, in in that in that case, then where can the JPX go and and you know in terms of building up a, a data business for itself uh, and evolving with how exchanges around the world are transitioning from a pure uh, here's the raw data kind of like play to here's some value added data. Well, I, th I think uh, again, I mean, I'm going to go back to the ASX and how they've approached it. So they say, right, okay, we're, we're going to transition, but let's make sure uh, business before we transition is uh, fully maximized. Uh, let's fill in all the gaps, get that business right first, and then transition. Make sure that all our IP is up to date. Make sure our policies are up to date. Make sure our pricing models are up to date. Make sure that we've got all that right, then do the transition. And I, I think what somebody like JPX has got to do is go out and say, right, what's the problems with our business right now? Where do we want to go? But let's fix our problems now. Let, let's let's make our business uh, uh, valuable, and then once we've done that, we can then transition and go forward. There's no point in just uh, going off on uh, on a foundation which is only half built. And I, I think this is a problem with a lot of exchanges. They uh, they they see what other exchanges are doing. They think, oh, uh, I can be Nasdaq. And I've 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 seen reports whereby uh, a top named uh, um, consulting company, which will charge ten thousand a day, uh, will do a, a report for an, ex uh, an exchange, which is relatively small, and they will sit there and going, "You should be Nasdaq." And this this is an exchange which might be doing a hundred two hundred million US dollars total, and and, yeah, and and you get this, and, and and so I think a lot of the advice which uh, exchanges get is relatively poor at a strategic level, uh, and uh, uh, they, they've got to uh, um, realize what they've got right now, look at what they've got, look at the sheer advantages, look, look at the qualities, look at what uh, the, the obvious assets they've got, use that first before uh, uh, trying to um, transition to something that uh, uh, will definitely build a business, but not necessarily, uh, uh, but will require hard work. Okay. And, and okay, and we, we can't talk about Asian exchanges without talking about my home country, uh, Malaysia. So what about Bursa Malaysia uh, is, uh, stands out for you? And in terms of a, a data business, does it, has it actually uh, established one? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's got some very bright people in there. Uh, I, I think one of the problems uh, uh, with Bursa Malaysia, which is pretty similar to some of the other regional exchanges, is, is that it's not a big exchange and you've mm. got limited resources. So you've got some good people there who want to do more, but they're limited by the resources which are made available to them. I mean, for instance, they've they've looked at uh, uh, adding value to their products and services, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I think one of the biggest problems that they've got, and along with other uh, uh, local exchanges, uh, is that if they try and introduce uh, pricing models which more reflect uh, the value of the business, then uh, it tends to, you, you've got a very powerful local broking lobby, uh, and that's the same in the Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, which will turn around and say, hey, you can't do this because uh, uh, you know, uh, this is going to cost us money or whatever. So 
a lot of the local exchanges suffer from uh, uh, that problem in that they they aren't able to charge uh, their local brokerages a fair rate. Uh, they they basically uh, uh, undercharge them uh, uh, because of the political pressure involved. Uh, and then uh, uh, you've got the question of resources. Uh, you, you're talking about an exchange with I don't know, 180. Um, let me see. Um, oh, I did have it here a second ago. Uh, it would help if I use the right computer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 190 uh, uh, million US dollars uh, revenue, and they got 12 uh, uh, 12 million um, US uh, US dollars uh, uh, in data sales. Uh, that that's that's not a lot to be able to invest in and do what you really want to do. So for exchanges like Bursa Malaysia, uh, which on the data side are, are well run, it's a question of trying to maximise what you can do right now build it up uh, and then try and be a, a bit more resourceful once you've got a bit more of a, 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 you know, economies of scale to be able to do that. But that takes time. I mean, the smaller the exchange, the harder it is. Mm, okay, okay. That's interesting. You know, I definitely should talk to them a bit more often. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, thanks, Kieran, for, for coming on. I think this has been a really uh, interesting and insightful roundup of like what exchanges in the region are doing. And uh, I mean, definitely I'll be picking on you again and uh, definitely calling you more often to you know, <laughs> bug you with stories and stuff. You'll, you won't be able oh, to. Oh, it's it. always a pleasure. <laughs> And and you can work out right now which exchanges are never going to hire me again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to do it. Oh no, it's a it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Wayne.